0: This Um, well, if you're new here this morning, uh, I just want to welcome you and let you know my name is Keith Dollar. I'm the lead pastor here, and we just started a new series called "Power and Weakness." We went through First Corinthians uh, for about 21 weeks, and now we are in Second Corinthians, and I'm so excited because I I, I just really see that this there's, there's content in here that just seems so relevant. To, to where we're at. And, and there's, it's so applicable and so helpful. And the Apostle Paul uh, really shares his heart in this letter in a very raw, vulnerable way. It seems to be one of the most uh, vulnerable uh, epistles that he's written. And uh, one of the things that was new for me is, is that some even see this as a pastoral epistle. I've always thought of just the pastoral epistles as Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Titus, But as you look in, in Second Corinthians, you really see a lot of pastoral leadership lessons coming through the Apostle Paul uh, that was provoked by uh, the Corinthians. And some of them who were challenging his his authority, challenging his leadership. And so we see, as I mentioned last week in this letter, a, a bruised and beaten Apostle Paul who's walked through some really difficult times, and he talks about some of those things. And we learn what it looks like from this letter to, to lean into God when we're feeling weak and life has just beaten us on all sides. We, we, we get an example and some insight of what it looks like to find hope through the gospel and to see our afflictions and our sufferings through the lens of the gospel And find the strength that we need, not in acting like we're we're strong of ourselves and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but by acknowledging our weaknesses and leaning into the grace that God freely gives us as we come to him, acknowledging that we're weak and he's strong. And so we'll see throughout this letter that this idea of power and weakness or strength and weakness is something that's, that's, uh, uh, weave throughout this entire letter. Uh, today we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and I've titled this sermon, Marks of a Godly Leader. Marks of a Godly Leader. Now, this is super important for us, for, for any church to have godly leaders, healthy leaders, leaders who are modeling Christ likeness. Over the years, since I've been a Christian, for 23, almost 23 years, I've seen a number of leaders fall morally from their place of leadership. And some leaders that I really respect and would have never thought that that would happen to them. Right? And so all the more we see the importance of the need for leaders in the body of Christ who are leading others and shepherding others. To to walk in Christ's likeness, to lean into the grace of God, to be known by God and known by others and be accountable and keep a clear conscience before God and abide in him and stay connected to him. And so what we see the Apostle Paul doing in in this, this portion of scripture is we see him defending his own ministry and describing how he has conducted himself as a leader. And he mentioned some of the characteristics, and so I've highlighted about five of them that we're going to look at today. As we read through this passage, see if you can see them before I highlight any of them. Let me pray, and we'll read the scripture together. Lord, speak to us. Change us. Open open our eyes to see the glory of who you are and transform us by your spirit from glory to glory as we get a glimpse thank you for the Christ-likeness that comes through leaders and those who've influenced our lives folks like the Apostle Paul and Lord may we take on more of those Christ-like characteristics may we imitate those leaders as, as they imitate Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright, right, Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we have behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely toward you, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you have read and understood, and I hope that you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as well as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia, and you have uh, and you have sent me send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I was when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you. Sylvanus, Timothy, and I was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to my witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, Who is there to make me glad but the one who I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. All God's people said, Amen. "Amen" to His word. So here's a big idea this morning: the Apostle Paul was an example of of a Christ-like leader who cultivated a clear conscience and was marked by sincerity, simplicity, holiness, and grace. The Apostle Paul was an example of a Christ-like leader who cultivated a clear conscience and was marked by sincerity, simplicity, holiness, and grace. So let's talk a little bit about the problem here and what the Apostle Paul is addressing. Paul said that he was going to come and see the Corinthians and for some reason, he didn't follow through and and see them on on the visit that they were expecting to see him on. And remember, as we looked at a couple weeks ago at the end of chapter 16... He says, I do plan to come to you if the Lord permits. For a great door of effective ministry has been opened to me. But there are many adversaries, right? And so something happened that caused there to be a change of plans with the Apostle Paul And we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago as, as Christians The way that we plan and the way that we think about The future is not that We got our lives Completely in our hands as if we're Completely in control of all our plans We're to have this mindset And this attitude towards our Planning to say If the Lord wills We'll do this or that Because we have human limitations And life happens like there's there's somebody who's not here this morning because of COVID COVID happens right 2020 happens those kinds of there's there's just things that happen that cause us to shift plans right and and we're not God we're not sovereign over our lives God is and so we're to have this posture towards our plans Of 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 seeking what God wants, acknowledging what God wants, and acknowledging ultimately that that our plans must be humbly submitted to Him, right? So we say, if the Lord permits, if the Lord wills, but of course that's not that's not a license for passivity, that's not a license for prayerlessness. We're to pray God's will, we're to seek God's will, and we're to be people of our word. If we if we say yes, then we need to do what we what we said we're going to do. Right, But sometimes things happen and things change that cause us, when we say yes, we have to shift because we're not God. There's only one who always delivers on their yes. And that's God. It's Jesus. But generally speaking, we are to be people. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. It's to say, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you don't have to add anything to it. If you have to if you if you're adding anything to it, there's something wrong the living bible paraphrase says. There's something wrong. There's something evil. There's something insidious. There's something not right if you have to say I promise for, for real, for real, trust me. I'm going to if you have to add something to your yes, something's not right. We should be people of character when we say we're going to do something, we're going to do something, right? And so the Christians knew this right they I'm sure they, they understood this, and they're challenging some of them were challenging paul and and, and they were they were they were implying it, and they seemed to be challenging that that Paul is flickle, he's vacillating he's, he's yes and he's no and he, he's just not reliable and this is a problem because the apostle Paul has brought the gospel message to these Corinthian people. And, and it's important for his witness to them and any other outsiders, new believers or non-Christians who know him, it's important that his character line up with the message that he's preaching, right? It's important that, and it's important for us as Christians that our character line up with it. So the Apostle Paul's responding to some of that pushback, some of those charges. He, he, he is forced to defend himself. Because later on it tells us in Second Corinthians there were really these super apostles who were, were boasting and challenging his authority, and some of the Corinthians were being persuaded by them, and they are starting to think more lowly of Paul, and like, who is Paul to tell us what to do, right? And this is the, this is the guy who Jesus sent out with authority. To plant churches And we have his letters In Holy Scripture The Spirit of God Inspired these letters Right? Now So when we make plans There's obstacles There's there's a number of things That can come against our plans And cause our plans to fail Planning is good Right? Um, We'll talk a little bit more about that I'll come back to that But let's look at the first thing That Paul says here The first mark of a godly leader The first one is that they cultivate A clear conscience Right? So Paul starts, in his defense He starts with this My conscience is clear, guys I didn't violate my conscience In saying I'm going to be there and not mean it I didn't say Yeah, I'm going to be there to come see you guys But I don't really mean that Right? His conscience was clear before God, and, and we see this in the book of Acts, and Paul wrote about this, and he wrote about it with, with deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that, that deacons must cultivate a clear conscience, and hold fast to the mystery of the faith. This is just what Christians should do, but especially Christian leaders, because Christian leaders are to be pace-setters, they're not, Christian leaders aren't the... The um, special forces Or navy seals They're just healthy, mature Followers of Jesus Who are walking in a healthy place And setting a pace for others within the church To run alongside right? And so <clears throat> A clear conscience Paul talked about that He said he, in, in Acts that he, he made pains To keep a clear conscience Both before God and man You see Paul knew That God had given us this gift Of conscience That gives us insight to what's going on Inside of us and it warns us when there's Something wrong kind of like a smoke alarm I like the analogy of a smoke alarm Right we all have had those And when the battery is low Or if if you're cooking and there's smoke in the house What do we have a tendency to do If that smoke alarm will not hush We've opened the door We've opened the window We're trying to get all the smoke out What do we do You take the battery out That's a very simple, easy fix Just remember to put the battery back in Because you're going to go to sleep that night And you want that battery in there So it'll function properly To warn you if there's danger And this is kind of how our conscience works It it gives us insight To what's going on And it reminds us it, It confronts us When we violate God's law When we violate God's standard Of what's right and wrong now, sometimes our conscience can be calibrated to the wrong standards as well, right? And we've talked about this. I've had a couple of messages that I've hit on this in the last couple of years. And so we need to have our conscience calibrated to the Word of God. But generally speaking, God's given us all a conscience that says lying is wrong, stealing is wrong, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong. And we know it inside whether we know the Bible or not, right? And so it's, the conscience is this God-given gift to Help us see. It's described as a, as a skylight. It lets the light in. It lets the light in. What's going on? As a Christian, if you come to a place where you violate your conscience, pause and ponder and try to figure out what's going on. Don't just keep rolling and like, let's go. Just keep doing more stuff. And find, find a quiet spot. Maybe it was within a relationship. And maybe you don't know exactly what it is, but you just feel something's not right inside. Right? And so you may want to ask God, God, is there anything pressing between me and you right now? Or it may be with your spouse or your child. And there was a rub and something happened. And you don't know. But you just feel it, like something's not right. And so there's this this this, this prick of the conscience that works. And Christopher Ash says this about the conscience. He says, Conscience detects where our lives don't match with what we say we believe. Even though our conscience is easily desensitized and hardened, when we become Christians, the Spirit instantly begins to repair our damaged conscience. With the result that it is actually possible for us to have a clear conscience in specific situations. On specific issues. And that's what Paul's saying. If we examine ourselves honestly before God in the light of his word, it is possible to speak with quiet confidence and real humility about our actions, which is what Paul does when he says that this is our boast, this is our confidence, the testimony of our conscience. It's not accusing it's not accusing me about what happened with this planned situation. I'm for you guys. I love you guys. I'm committed to helping you guys, Corinthians. God knows that. And if I die and stand before God on Judgment Day, my conscience is clear. It's been said that a clear conscience is the softest pillow at night, when you lay your head down at night. Right? You have trouble sleeping. What's going on? There's a number could be physical, but internal. Is there anything, God? Is there anything that's that's keeping me awake? That you just want to speak to and, and resolve. Okay, so the Apostle Paul walked in that. Godly leaders also are marked by simplicity and holiness. Now, depending on what translation you read here, the translators render this Greek word either simplicity in the ESV or holiness. I think. Holiness is a is a better rendering of this particular Greek word. The, the New American Standard does that. But I'm just gonna say both. I, I think both are true. Godly leaders are marked by simplicity and holiness. The NSAB says, For our proud confidence is this the testimony that our conscience, that of our conscience, that in holiness In godly sincerity. I like how the the NLT puts it, the New Living Translation, a modern translation. It says, "With a God-given holiness." I like that. A God-given holiness. This implies that holiness of a life. Or uh, the, the NET Bible just it translates it as pure motives. This is a response, an effect of the grace of God, which we'll get to in a moment. Okay, Holiness is the product of the grace of God. It's the effect of the grace of God. The grace of God precedes holiness in the life of the Christian. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live righteous, sober lives. And so, simplicity... Godly leaders are marked by simplicity and holiness There's a the Greek word there And it can be translated Simplicity, sincerity, purity of mind Liberality As arising from simplicity and frankness of character Don't we want to be that? Vessels sanctified and set apart for God A clear conscience Ready for the master's use Godly le- leaders also communicate with sincerity. And this goes along with holiness and simplicity and a clear conscience. Paul says that we behave in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. You look at Second 2 Corinthians 2.17. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ' sincerity. The Greek word here literally means judged by the sunlight. Okay, judged by the sunlight, and, and kind of the idea here is that when when merchants uh, are selling and, and and buyers are are buying in, in the first century, and they're they're buying a piece of pottery or uh, they're, they're to. They hold it up to the sunlight. You want to look at your piece that you're buying. If you ever at a garage sale or something, you want to check it out and make sure it's good because there may be cracks and problems with it where wax has been put into those cracks and covered up and to make it look like it's, it's, it's totally fine, right? How many of y'all you bought something off Facebook Marketplace or Five Mile or Craigslist or something? And you see the picture and it's amazing. You're like, I want that for twenty bucks. <laughs> But you didn't see the picture of the other side of that item that was being sold. You show up, and it's like falling apart. It's broken underneath. Anybody had that experience? I've had that experience, right? Anybody been one of those sellers who's done that? Let's, let's talk afterwards. Uh, but the reality, and, and, and maybe it's happened. In, maybe sincerely, people post those things. And, and I, I must confess, there's been, I've sold some stuff on Facebook Marketplace. And it may be like not looking not, not looking completely over The, the idol, even if there was a little small Deal, it's, you're, you're given a great Deal for it, right? So it's like, okay that's, It is what it is, but here The idea with insincerity Is you're being held up To the sunlight, seen for Who you are, known for who You are, you're not holding back You're real, you're genuine, you're being Sincere and This is what our Lord Jesus Did, this is This is the the leadership path that the Apostle Paul followed in Jesus' footsteps, just being sincere, not having hidden motives, a hidden agenda, but sincerity. And, And because of God's grace, when we know the gospel of grace, it should free us up to be held up to the light and know that we all got some cracks. We all got some flaws. We all got some warts and molds in some areas that maybe we're not excited for others to see in our lives. But the grace of God covers those areas. The grace of God transforms us and changes us. And that's what we see here in this next section too, that the Apostle Paul godly leaders are marked by grace. And this is in contrast to worldly wisdom. He says we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely toward you. What does it look like to be marked by grace? To live by the grace of God, to show grace to others, to display the effects of in the beauty of grace, in your words, in your actions, in your attitudes. We know that our Lord Jesus was full of grace and truth. He is full of grace and truth. We know that our Heavenly Father is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Apostle Paul was wrecked by the grace of God in the best possible way. He was humbled by the grace of God. He was welcomed and brought in by the grace of God. The the blasphemer, the the, the terrorist that he was, the murderer, the violent man that he was. He was confronted by Jesus in his power and in his grace. He encountered the, the risen Christ and it changed his life. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I am what I am by the grace of God. His identity was rooted in the grace of God. He knew that he didn't deserve salvation. He didn't deserve rescue. He didn't deserve to be an apostle of Jesus Christ and have the, 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 the great influence that he had as a, as a leader in the church. But the grace of God. God called him in grace, chose him in grace, saved him in grace, sustained him in grace, transformed his life in grace. And Paul opens up his letters with Grace and peace to you. And he preaches a gospel of the gospel of grace. And what this looks like in the life of Paul, it looks like forgiveness. We see him talking about this in, in the next chapter. Chapter 2, forgiving the offender. We see this, a classic example of this, in his dealings with Philemon and uh, uh, Onesimus, the runaway slave. who He forgives him. And he gives them space. Paul, as a a leader who's marked by grace, gave those he led space to be dealt with by God so that they don't have to always go through him. But he gave them space to respond to the Holy Spirit. What it means to be marked by grace and to lead with grace means that you don't domineer. And you don't lord over people's faith. And you don't manipulate and control and try to be the Holy Spirit or someone else's conscience. You, you present the grace of God and you give people the opportunity to respond to it. And it comes through in our attitudes of graciousness. It comes through through our words that are to, to, to be conduits of grace to others. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.29. But only that which is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So Paul talked about this this experience of second grace when he he visited the the Corinthians. When when you encounter a leader who's marked by the grace of God, it's just going to come out it's going to flow into the lives of others. This was the case with Jesus. And, and Paul got his marching orders from Jesus. Paul got his philosophy of leadership from Jesus. He was rebooted by grace, in grace. Right? Right? And he was energized by grace. But the grace of God towards me was not in vain, but I labored more and more than the rest of the apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And Paul could boast about his weaknesses because in God's grace he knew that God's strength is perfect in his weakness. And that God's grace is sufficient. And he doesn't have to pull himself up by his own bootstraps and be his own savior because he can't. Jesus is the gracious Savior, the one who's mighty to save, the one who graciously welcomes sinners. He's called a friend of sinners. And so we see Paul's leadership marked by grace in how he deals with these Corinthians. I mean, honestly, as I, as I think through some of the situations, I just try to picture myself. If I was pastoring the Corinthian church, I would be worn out, I would be be drained by the meetings and the conversations, the immaturity. Like, I mean, I would just start to have questions. Are they really Christians? I would have some of those things going on, right? But Paul describes his confidence in God's saving grace in their life to save them and to keep them. He says, God is faithful. God will sustain you. And we see that coming through. Now, now just because Paul was marked by grace and a leader's marked by grace, it doesn't make them a pushover. Right? It doesn't mean that they're soft on sin and lower convictions when it comes to righteousness. Paul didn't lower his convictions. Right? He spoke the truth in love. Jesus didn't lower his convictions. I mean, let's just think about the woman caught in the act of adultery in John 8 who, who's brought to the feet of Jesus. And she deserves... According to the law of death Jesus says Let him who is without sin cast the first stone Nobody had the right to pick up a stone And throw it He told this woman Where are your accusers Those who condemn you Neither do I condemn you Go and Enjoy your life Is that what he said? He didn't say that He said go and sin no more he didn't condemn her in grace, met her with grace, but he didn't condone her sinful lifestyle. He said, go and sin no more. That's the effects of grace on our lives. It changes us when we encounter it. It's like a ripple effect, a domino effect. You guys see some of those Do Perfect videos? My kids love them. They just watch way too many of them. They have these really cool setups. Some, some amazing engineers set these things up where just, there's all these kind of effects that are happening from it's very, anyway, you can go watch it. But the, the domino effect of grace in our lives will come through in mm-hmm. our attitudes and our actions. <clears throat> and sometimes we have to fall pretty hard and let, let our pride get knocked out of us through our moral failures and being met by graciousness within the body of Christ. To really Walk in this. For me, that was the case. As a young, arrogant, young man, evangelist who had a lot of answers, and I needed some humbling. And God did that for me, exceedingly abundantly. All that I could ask, so think or imagine. Let's do it. Okay. John Newton, who wrote the the hymn "Amazing Grace," former slave trader. Experience the grace of God. He says, I am not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil. And I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon, I shall put off mortality and with, with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can hardly join with the apostle and acknowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now notice in this verse, verse 12, the latter, latter half of verse 12, that Paul contrasts the grace of God versus operating in a worldly or fleshly wisdom. Okay? He contrasts the two there. He didn't make plans according to flesh. He didn't operate according to worldly wisdom. He operated according to the grace of God. A couple of commentators say this, that the kind of wisdom that, this is the kind of wisdom that is guided by principles of self-interest expediency. Calvin says, Paul gives name of fleshly wisdom to everything apart from Christ which procures for us the reputation of wisdom. Right, The Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 about this worldly wisdom and the, the, the kind of wisdom that the Spirit gives. Living by grace and in the grace of God, energized by the grace of God, is synonymous and connected with keeping in step with the spirit of God, the spirit of grace. Right? He works in and through us. changes us. And so Paul talked about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We don't have time to to dig into that. But if you want to try to dig into this idea of worldly wisdom versus... How the spirit leads Christians How we see the world How we operate in the world We see it through of grace And so we see in these next verses here Verses 15 through 17 Paul, Paul's defense of his Change of plans Because I was sure of this I wanted to come to you first So that you might have a second experience of grace I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia And come back to you from Macedonia and you, <clears throat> and you have sent me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, and at the same time? His implication is no, I'm not planning according to the flesh. I'm dependent upon the grace of God. I'm committed to the will of God. And sometimes in the will of God, our plans don't line up and don't completely match what God has planned for us. And so we've got to be flexible. Not flickle. Not flickle, but flexible. I like to say, blessed are the flexible. For they won't get bent out of shape. Right? Being a disciple of Jesus requires flexibility because he calls us to do things and go places that are really hard. He describes it as Taking up your cross. All right? I need to stretch before I take up my cross, right? There's, there's going to be some flexibility involved. I'm, I need to change my plans. I need to die to my plans and the expectations that I have for myself and everyone else has on me for these certain plans to, to happen. And I need to take up my cross and follow Jesus. Yes, I did say fickle. Steve, <laughs> don't text me about preaching here. Steve C. See customer texting me here. <laughs> on the video, on the live feed. Glad you're watching the So what are some reasons that there are unsuccessful plans? Plans failed. Um, it may be fickle. It may be fickleness. Somebody's fickle or indecisive or Double minded, and of course that's frustrating when when you're working with anybody who's like that. Indecisive, flickle, back and forth, double minded. It's frustrating. Especially when they're leaders. Right? Especially when it's, it's yourself. And you don't know what's going on. You don't know how to make a decision in certain circumstances. It's just, it's frustrating. Another reason why is is just being hasty to make plans. This is planning according to the flesh. Sometimes we don't stop the prayer and just say, God, what do you want me to do? Human limitations. We need to take that in consideration. We're not God. We're not sovereign over our plans. Sometimes there's just insincerity and inconsistency in the plans. And what's being said is going to happen. Or it may simply be just a change of circumstance. Life happens. And so we've got to be flexible and roll with the punches. Another theologian, Calvin, says that there are two main reasons why men's plans are not successfully accomplished or their promises faithfully kept. The first is that they change their minds almost hourly. And the second, that they are too hasty in, in the commitments they undertake. It is a sign of instability to make plans or promises you immediately regret. And let me also just say this. I would also add to the list um, a lack of self-awareness and, and maybe pride or blind spots to seeing, into the thinking we can do more than we really can do in our own strength, Right? To over over in pride We can overextend ourselves And say yes to everyone And everything as if we're Jesus I got the whole world in my hands I can't sleep because I gotta keep the world in my hands I gotta keep everything held up overnight You know we're reminded Every every night that we go to sleep We're reminded that we don't have The whole world in our hands Or, or we, we could be reminded of that and The fact that God Has wired us to sleep Right? And we need about eight hours of sleep. And God's going to continue to hold the world together without us when we sleep. And so we can rest. And the gospel of grace teaches us to do this. And let me let me land with our last mark of a godly leader. Godly leaders put the spotlight on Jesus as the hero. Godly leaders put the spotlight on On Jesus as the hero I love how Paul is doing that Right here Using this circumstance Even though his conscience was clear He was sincere He knows he was doing what's right Change of plans had to happen For various reasons In light of that He says, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen. Amen. that's Hebrew. We're saying, yes, I agree. When we say, amen, we're identifying with what's being said or what's being prayed. Yes. Amen. And so Paul points us to Jesus. He first, he points us to the father. God is faithful. He points us to Jesus in God's faithfulness. He sends Jesus into the world to fulfill the promises that he had to Israel And for the world to bring salvation through Jesus. See, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yes and amen. God comes through on what he says he's going to do. What he promises to do, he will do it. That's why we need to know the promises of God. Pray the promises of God Trust the promises of God Be comforted by the promises of God So Paul puts the spotlight on God The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit But we see here in verse 19 He's highlighting Jesus That in Christ God's great plan of redemption God's great plan to show His faithfulness and His covenant, covenant-keeping love to the world He sends Jesus to be the savior of the world to be our rescue and the resurrection is a loud resounding affirmation that God is faithful and his promises are yes and amen in Christ because Christ is risen God has validated what he's promised He's validated the the finished work of Jesus on behalf of our sins being taken away. He's confirmed that we too will rise with Him. He goes on verse 21 and 22. He says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee or a down payment, right? Here's the earnest. Here's the down payment. Here, here is, here's the first gift. Here, here, here's, here's the gift of the Spirit to confirm that, that, that there is a resurrection coming. We belong to God. We've been sealed by the Spirit and dwelt By the Spirit and I love Paul's Trinitarian theology How he's highlighting the Father, the Son And the Spirit within this passage He's pointing to the faithfulness of God In light of What seems like the fickleness of man The reality is Even the best of leaders The most faithful, godly leaders That we find in this world Are going to let you down Sorry to say that. If you walk with me long enough, know me long enough, I'm going to let you down in some ways. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm not wired to be able to hold up everything that you need Jesus to be for you. Your spouse isn't. Your mom or dad isn't. No one else is. And we can find comfort when those that we love and those that we know and those that we most trust and most admire and most respect, when they let us down, we can find comfort in the faithfulness of God. Because He's steady. His mercies are new every morning and great is His faithfulness. He comes through on His promises. He never fails. He never falters. He's not He's consistent. The inconsistencies of people can be so discouraging at times. And our own inconsistencies can be so discouraging at times. So let me sum it up here with George Guthrie's comments on Paul. He says that, and this is the basis for our integrity and faithfulness. Paul's mission, his decisions, his pattern of life... And therefore, his words are not perfect, but they so rest on the bedrock character of God and are so in sync with God's gospel that Paul can speak of the integrity of his words and commitments with the utmost confidence. See, here's the basis of us being people of integrity. Here's the basis for us being faithful because God is faithful. God will be faithful He will sustain us He will keep us He will walk with us Through the most squashing Squeezing difficult of times The fire and the flood And so let's close with a couple points of application here First seek to cultivate Christ like character By doing the hard work of self examination And applying the gospel to your sin and brokenness Paul tells the Christians in this letter, examine yourselves and see whether you're in the faith. That's a good thing. Self-examination. Actually, when we come to the Lord's Supper, we partake of communion. Self-examination is something that's supposed to happen. We're not to just mindlessly partake of the elements and go through the ritual. We're to think about where we're at. And what area of our life we need to apply the gospel to in that moment. And we remember Jesus and what he's done for us. We may be reminded of our sins of the past week. and We remember that Jesus hung there bloody and beaten on the cross to take those sins away. We bring them to the foot of the cross. We acknowledge that he is the one who does that. So we examine ourselves, and then we apply the gospel of Jesus to our sin and to our brokenness. We don't have to hide and run and act like everything's okay when it's not okay. and Take fig leaves and and tell everyone how good we are when we're not doing well. We can say, I'm a wreck right now. I'm a mess. I don't understand what's going on right now. But Jesus can put me together. And He can heal the brokenness and He can pardon the sins. And oftentimes that it's the path of, of just being honest and real with others that we, that we find healing and, and wholeness. Avoid judging other people's motives, but rather give them the benefit of the doubt. Paul was being pegged as fickle, as um, inconsistent. Some were judging him, challenging his authority. We should be people of grace that give the benefit of the doubt. Let me ask some questions before we come to conclusions. Try to get understanding before we've decided where somebody's at. Before we start judging motives. Actions speak for themselves. Words speak for themselves. But sometimes we can misunderstand people. Sometimes we misunderstand ourselves. We don't know what's going on with ourselves. And we need God's help. We need the help of faithful brothers and sisters who will speak the truth and love to us. Guard your witness to outsiders by being a person of your word as much as you possibly can. you say you're going to do something, you're going to be somewhere, just follow through. If you don't, acknowledge Explain uh, for leaders uh, you know a, a good lesson here is like <clears throat> when ch- when plans change, over communicate. When plans change, over communicate because they will change. We can have the best plans. Twenty twenty vision, the perfect vision. I see it. Twenty twenty, it's going to be amazing. And COVID just wrecks all those plans that we have, right? And so as plans change, as, as life happens, over-communicate as you're leading. And then be comforted and changed by the glorious truth of God's faithfulness and consistency. Be comforted by that. Take the light in who God is. Worship Him. Praise Him. When, when people let you down, when you have to pray like, like David did in the Psalms, help, Lord. For the godly man ceases and the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. When you feel like that, when you feel like Elijah, like, Lord, I'm the only one here serving you. God's like, I I got this other remnant, like thousands over here that you don't know about, Elijah. So be encouraged. You're not the only one. You may feel like it. But when people let you down, Be comforted by God's faithfulness. And allow that to energize and motivate and change you to be a faithful person. Amen? You guys would bow with me in prayer.